You know, I'm really glad you're here this morning because this verse is so important. Of all the verses in the New Testament, this might be the single verse that is most significant in learning how to live the Christian life. And countless of God's people, countless of God's saints through the ages have said that this is the single most important verse in their life, or the, the single most important verse in showing them how to live the Christian life, how to live for Jesus. So I acknowledge that we've had it in our scripture reading for the last couple of Sundays, and we've said some things about it, but I felt so strongly that we needed to just camp on this one verse and focus on it on it solely this morning. So uh, my prayer, and you can pray along with me, that God would enable me to do it justice, uh, to preach it, and that he would open your hearts to hear it and to understand it and to grasp it and to have it really make a, make a lasting impact in your life, to get, to get into, your, into your mind, uh, to get into your heart, to get into your thinking, to even get, in, to get into your emotions and, and your attitudes, and just so this, this verse would really begin to saturate your life. Every, everything that you do and think, your whole approach to living, really should be, should be driven by this, by this verse. And if you want to be a better person, a more godly person, it, it seems logical, from, a, from human logic, it seems logical that we need to uh, find a set of, of principles to live by or rules to follow, uh, to impose upon ourselves, to to tame our unruliness, uh, to squelch our sinful tendencies, to, to get control over our outbursts of anger, uh, to curb our appetites, uh, to restrain, restrain our, our bad temper, or to help you stop yelling at your kids or spouse. And you think, if I could only just kind of find the right principles or rules, and if I could just keep them, if I could work harder at keeping those rules and commands... And I, I would be a better person. But we end up frustrated, really, just by our own efforts. Uh, we try to please the Lord, but we fail again and again and again. We've, we find that these rules, principles, or laws ca- cannot stop our, our coveting what somebody else has or our lusting or our anger, or our tendency to quarrel, or our tendency to complain. Uh, the law just simply cannot make us righteous, at least not from the inside out. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that the law is like a thermometer. It can show us that we are sick. It can show us where we need to make improvements, but it cannot heal us. And even, even the perfect law of God cannot manage our corrupt tendencies, which is kind of a surprising thing for a lot of pe- people to hear. But it's definitely a very clear teaching of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Now, some of these things might make changes at, at the surface. And I, I, I don't, don't deny that. But as Josh said last week, that is not Christianity. Uh, the Christian answer, the Christian answer to your battle with sin and with yourself and the world is much more drastic. Much more drastic. I mean, God's answer is 
to crucify you. And then to send Jesus Christ himself to live inside you. To live a new kind of life altogether. And that's basically what this passage is talking about. It's talking about a crucified self, a crucified life with Jesus Christ himself sent to live inside us or to indwell us. So that we can say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so in this verse or in, really in this whole passage, Paul takes us from what the law cannot do for us to what Christ can do for us. I know we're using the word law a lot, but uh, a man by the name of William Law <laughs> said this. And I, it's, it, a lot of the guys I, I'm, I quote, and this morning is no exception, are guys that lived a long time ago. But William Law said, The one and only sufficiency for the Christian life is the power of the Holy Spirit, not as a doctrine, but as a living person who manifests through us, the very life of Jesus Christ. In other words, I might simplify it just a bit. The one and only sufficiency for the Christian life is Jesus Christ living in you by His Spirit. And I think it's so important for us as believers to, to grasp, the, grasp this because there is so much pressure on us to kind of live... A, by a different principle or by a different motive, by different powers to trust in different things. Jesus Christ living in you. I'm sure we've all heard that phrase or many of, most of us probably have. What does it mean that he lives in you? Well, just think about what does it mean to live? Uh, to live means that something is alive, Right? Uh, to be alive as a person means means you're breathing, moving, thinking, feeling, doing things, planning things, taking initiative. Uh, it means you're conscious, that you have a will, you have desires, you have thoughts, you communicate. There's, there's just this mysterious power at work in a living person that we call life. And it's maybe a little hard to define what it is, but it's... It's living. It's the opposite of being dead. Uh, a dead person has lost all ability to function. A, a, a dead person doesn't have anything to say or do. A dead person doesn't want or will for anything. A dead person can't communicate. He's just, just dead. But Galatians 2.20 says Jesus Christ lives. Jesus, We serve a living we serve a risen Savior. We serve a living Savior. Jesus Christ lives in you. He is not dead in you. And I honestly think some people th- think of that. I mean, I, they might think of Jesus as, yeah, he's living somewhere. Um, but for all practical purposes, it seems like he's, he's dead in me. But Galatians 2.20 says, Christ lives in you. He is not dead in you. He is not nothing in you. He is not silent. He is not powerless. He's not inactive. He's not ineffective. He's not weak. He has things to do through you. He has things to say through you. He has attitudes and qualities of life to express 
through you. You know, in John 15, Jesus said that he is like a living vine with his life flowing through us like his branches and we bear fruit for him because of his life. And one of the things I really want to help us see this morning is that, that, this, that this is to become very, very practical. And the, the Apostle Paul said, I will only boast or I will boast about what Christ has accomplished through me. When he talked about all the things that he went through, when he talked about uh, the Gentiles' response to the gospel, he talked about everything I said and I did. He said that was what Christ accomplished through me. When the Gentiles were saved, Christ did that through me. When I healed people, that was Jesus Christ working through me. When I preached or taught or wrote the New Testament letters, that was Jesus at work in me. When I loved people, when I poured out my life as a living sacrifice, that was Jesus working through me. Jesus was doing that. When I kept going in shipwreck and danger and beatings and insults in prison, that was the power of Christ in me. That was what Jesus accomplished through me. And so when I go back and talk about my life, Paul said, I'm just, I'm just talking about what Jesus did through me or what he accomplished through, through me. And he is willing and able and powerful and present to work through you too. Okay, I'm going to quote another old guy, A.B. Simpson, because <laughs> we've been reading his devotional. Guy, guy says some incredible things. And there's some things in here that actually may make you chuckle because of the time frame. He talks about the washboard and the plow and things like that. But just translate them into your life. He said, yes, humble sister, he will help you. Jesus Christ will help you at the washboard and the kitchen sink as gladly as at the hour of prayer. Yes, busy mechanic. He will go with you and help you to swing the hammer, to handle the saw, or hold the plow in the toil of life. And you shall be a better mechanic, a more skilled workman, a more successful man, because you take his wisdom for the common affairs of life. There is no place or time Christ is not able and willing to walk by our side, to work through our hands and our brains. I love that. And to unite himself to us in loving and all-sufficient partnership with all our needs and tasks and trials and prove to be our all-sufficiency for all things. I mean, what, a, what a savior. I mean, if we really, if we really believe that and held on to that. Um, So I do believe it gets that practical, that Christ is able to work through, through our bodies, through our minds, through our hearts, through our hands, through, through our words. Um, and again, his statement, to work through our hands and our, and our brains. And, and he, he is there to make us sufficient. Jesus Christ is in us to live through us, to make us sufficient for every task, every trial, and to prove our all-sufficiency for all things. And it just might be that perhaps your greatest need this morning 
is to know Jesus Christ as a living person in you. It might be that you really come to a greater revelation of Jesus Christ as a living Savior, living in you right now, right here, in your home, wherever you go. The Christian life is not merely imitating Christ. It is not merely what would Jesus do. And I'm not, if anybody's worn that bracelet, I'm not knocking that. But it's not just, you know, what would Jesus do. It is what is Jesus doing in me. And yielding to that and trusting in him. Again, A.B. Simpson said, and I love this. We live Christ-like because we have the Christ life. You know, we're always told all along that, man, you better be Christ-like. Well, we live Christ-like because we have the Christ life within us. And his quote continues, we imp- he imparts his own nature to us and lives his own life in us. And then it, then it is not imitation, but simply an outgrowth of the nature planted within us. And I, when I read that, I thought of what Peter says, that we have become partakers of his divine nature. And we do that because we've been born again of the living and abiding word of God, born again by his spirit. And the spirit of God comes to live within us. Jesus Christ lives, lives within us through his spirit. So I, I don't believe this has to be like a uh, kind of a, a sensational kind of sis boom uh, kind of life. But I, 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 I really believe that life can really be a daily adventure of trusting Jesus to, to express himself through you. But to experience this kind of life, to live this kind of life, to have this kind of life, we, we have to start where this verse starts. Do you remember where it starts? I have been crucified with Christ. In order for Christ to, to live in and through you, something, something had to happen to remove you from the center of your life. Something had to happen to remove you as Lord of your life so, so he could be Lord of your life. Something had to to crucify or kill the the dominion or dominance of sin over your life and your attitudes and your heart. Something something had to free you from your constant condemnation by the laws of God or by the law of God because of your inability to keep them. And that thing that needed to happen is that we were crucified with Christ. Christ. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. Romans uh, 6, verse 6, tells us the same truth. For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ. Another, a couple other verses in Romans 6 say, We were crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, Because anyone who has died has been set free 
from sin. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now in Romans 6, and I don't want to get too too deep into this. I don't want to confuse anybody with this, but, but I think it's important. In Romans 6, the emphasis is that being crucified with Christ freed us from sin. We, if, if, if we died, how can we live? If we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? So that's the emphasis of Romans 6. So in Galatians 2, if you've been following the messages, the emphasis that, is that being crucified with Christ freed us from the law, right? But there, there's a relationship. They're related. And again, as we've talked, you know, laws cannot heal your sin problem. Only Christ living in you can do that. And Paul said, really, in the verse just before this, uh, verse 19, he said, you know, I died to the law so that I could live for God. Romans Romans 7 says that we had to die to the law so that we might be joined or actually married or united to Christ in order to bear fruit for God. So we we had to be, that, that relationship with the law had to be broken through death so that we could be married to our new spouse, Jesus Christ, to bear fruit for God. So uh, the only way that we can live and overcome free and be freed from sin is, is to be, have the relationship with the law broken, have our relationship with sin broken, to be freed from both, have Jesus Christ live in us, and so that we're empowered to live this new life. And I don't want to camp on this too much, but again, without Christ, the only way we knew how to be good or how to try to be good was to try to keep laws. You know, do this, don't do that. Uh, but God, God basically has announced that, that, that that's over through Christ, the new covenant, uh, because the law could never make you, make you righteous anyway. Uh, now your focus is on something that really can make you righteous. Now your focus is, is on something that really can heal you. Now your focus is on something that really can make you whole. And that's the very life of Jesus dwelling in you. Now, just to add a, one other little part to, to this that I, that I think is important. Later in the book of Galatians, Paul will also say that he is crucified to the world. And so really the whole picture is that, that we were crucified to sin to the law, or we died, I mean, I'll put it this way, we died to sin, we died to the law, and, and we died to the world. We died to the world's way of thinking, its values, its way of operating. And so we are, we are like these brand new people, resurrected, raised up in new life people. We're not, we're not under the dominion of, of sin or the law or even, or even the world. Uh, so, and the, when you're dead to something, uh, you're, you're unresponsive to it. And so, so that's, that's how we live life. We're unresponsive to sin, to the world, and, and to law-based living. But we are totally alive to Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to talk about crucifixion just a little bit. You know, when someone was crucified in, in the uh, Roman world, and I'm not sure when, when uh, crucifixion came into play as, as, an, as a means of execution. Um, but most of us have heard of crucifixion. We know what it's like. We've seen pictures of it. 
And I just want to ask you a question. How big of an impact does that make on someone to be crucified? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's total. I mean, it, I mean, it killed them. I mean, it changed everything. And being crucified with, not, not to be gruesome, but I mean, being, I think we have to see the kind of the radical aspect of, of being crucified with Christ. Being crucified with Christ changes everything for you. Your old self, your old sinful, want everything my way self, uh, your old angry, complaining, prideful, stubborn, self pitying self. All of that and more was crucified or, or slain in this crucifixion. Galatians 2.20, again, says, It is no longer I who live. After being, Paul says, I was crucified. He said, the effect of this, the, the effect of this crucifixion was drastic. I mean, it's, 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 it's big. Uh, the effect of this crucifixion is that I no longer live. It is no longer I who live. And we're going to f- complete the verse, but just stop there for a second. It's no longer I who live. Your ego, your personality, your will is no longer the driving force of your life. Uh, the crucifixion of, of, our, of our life, the crucifixion of our self-life, is, this is not bad news. Okay, It's great news. It's not just good news, it's great news. Uh, when, when we see the misery and the destruction, the damage that we've done in relationships, when we see the, the offense to God that we have produced by living our own life in our own way, then we will be glad to be freed from our own life. And so, so we should embrace this truth. You cl- Paul was not... Uh, saying this verse, I don't think, like set to funeral music, like he was just really sad about this. (laughs) I mean, this was like a statement of rejoicing. So we should embrace this truth. Matt Chandler has a brief video just on this verse alone in which he says, I am here to celebrate my own funeral. And I I love that, just just that whole, whole attitude of rejoicing in this truth. And then... You know, sometimes God speaks to you from different places, kind of, kind of weird places. A couple of weeks ago, we had the girls um, for a week, Lissa's girls, and uh, we watched a lot of When Calls the Heart. I mean, a lot, okay? And I don't particularly enjoy it, but I, I, I picked up a statement that was an amazing revelation from God. <laughs> and here's, here's a statement. We must be willing to lose everything in order to find what God has shaped us for. And I heard that, and I said, that's Galatians 2.20. I said, no, whoever wrote that into the show, they have no idea how profound the statement that is. You know? And I actually, I think, I, I, I went and wrote it down immediately. I think I've, I backed up the, 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 the film. But I thought it was really important. We must be willing to lose everything in order to find what, what God has, has shaped us for. And so God has shaped you. He's made you to be a person through whom Jesus Christ shines day and night. 
And in order to experience that life, you have, it's the crucif- it's crucifixion. It, you have to be willing to lose everything of what you maybe thought was important, what you wanted um, in order to have that. Then I think another question that people commonly have from this passage is, how does this work? How does this work? How do I get myself crucified? Right? I mean, has anybody, anybody here wondered that? Okay. Well, just like everything else that comes from God, you receive this. You receive this as something already done for you. Okay. Hey, I know that's confusing. I know it might be mystical. That's the answer. You receive it as something already done for you. Romans 6 exhorts us to count yourselves dead. Or consider yourselves dead. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you, you view your old self, you, you, view your, you view your old self as hanging on the cross with Christ by faith. So you receive it by faith. The, the secret to this experience is that we must exercise faith that we are joined with him in his crucifixion and in his life. And it's, it's going to produce results. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change how we live. We will actually live then a crucified life, but we don't get there by, by somehow accomplishing it ourselves. We were crucified with Christ, past tense. You believe it, you proclaim it, just like Paul did. Just like, I raise my hand and I proclaim, I have been crucified with Christ. It's a statement of faith. It's a proclamation. It's, it's something you confess to be true. You take hold of it by faith. You, you cannot go back 2,000 years ago and crucify yourself on a cross with Jesus. You cannot create the miracle of Christ living in you. Uh, no matter how much you would fast or give away or how many hours you would pray or how much you would deprive yourself of pleasures, uh, you could not make this happen to you. It is a work of God that must be believed and received. It, it is to be embraced as a gift from God. And this is to become your, your identity. This is, if you, if you really embrace this and with, with faith and receive this, this is how you think about yourself. You, you really think about yourself as a crucified person. And you go around saying, maybe, maybe, don't, maybe you don't tell everybody that you meet, but you go around saying the same thing Paul said about himself. That's, it's who you are. I mean, we, we sing the song that we sing, um, uh, what is it? <laughs> You're a good, good father. You know, it's who I am. It's who I am. Well, this is who you are too. This is who you are. This is your story. Uh, this, this isn't just a quote of Paul's, uh, like that you, you know, would put on a plaque and have on the wall. And isn't that great that Paul said that? You know, fantastic verse. No, this, this has to become your quote. It has to be what you say has become what, what you think.
you know, and don't want to get off on too much of a rabbit trail, but, you know, Paul doesn't draw this, draw this always clear line between justification and sanctification. It all just kind of washes together. Because there's no genuine faith where this crucif- there's no genuine faith where this crucified life is not a reality. In other words, all who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. That's actually a quote from later in the book of Galatians. If someone says, you know, I really like the part about being accepted by God without doing anything to earn earn that, but I I don't want any part of being crucified and I don't want Jesus to managing my life, then then there's there's no saving faith in that person. Uh, If you are a justified person, you are also a crucified person. You are also a person in whom Christ lives by his spirit. You may not understand all of this. In fact, I don't think any of us probably fully yet understand all of this. I, one uh, pastor I read said that, he said, I've been absorbed with this verse and studying it for 25 years and feel like I'm still learning it. You know? So you may not understand all this, but it's yours. And we are all in the process of gaining greater greater revelation of it. But even though we, we are crucified, we still live, don't we? We still have a life to live, and that's what Paul went on to talk about. He said, the life that I live in the flesh, the life that I now live in, in my body. I mean, we're still, we're still human beings. We're still alive. We're still individuals. You, 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 you're, st- you're still a person you have unique gifts and personality, but now you live to show forth Jesus, not your old, dark, sinful nature. So the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not faith in yourself, not faith in what you can do, for God, not faith in how nice you are or how good you are in comparison to other people. Not faith in your own energy or your own thoughts. Not faith in your own wisdom or personality. Not faith in your own inner strength. Not faith in the power of self-confidence. Not faith in the power of positive thinking. Not faith in the human spirit. But faith in the Son of God who lives in you. And so, so we, we live by faith in Jesus. And I just, just, what I just said is try to help clarify just the object of our faith is, 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 is Jesus. It's away from ourselves, and it's, it's Jesus is the ob- object of our faith. And then and Paul says, we live, we live by faith. And I, I want to emphasize that just a little bit because I think it's, it's really important. We we live by faith. It's, it's, it's not just something that happened to us a long time ago. I, was, I tried to share the gospel with uh, my grandpa on my mother's side just before he died. And just real abruptly he said, oh, I took care of that a long time ago. Because it, you know, so, it was obviously something that, that was in the past. And we live by faith. Like we breathe to live. Okay, that's what Paul's talking about. When we talk about living, we're just we're talking about we go through life by faith. We we draw from Christ 
just like we draw in a breath by faith every day for every situation, for every responsibility, for every need, for every attitude, for everything we say and even how we say it. We live by faith in Christ. Faith is, is the atmosphere in which we live. It's, it's the dominant attitude of living. It's, it's how you function. It's, it's the one thing that you need to operate every day. You know, people sometimes will say, you know, I just don't know how I'm going to get through today. You know, the kids have worn me out. The house is a mess. I've got so much work to do. Uh, or I've got so much stuff going on at work. I've got so many pressure, pressures. I just don't know how I'm going to get through this week. Well, we get through the day. We get through the week by faith in Christ. And I'm not trying to minimize our problems and our struggles. But the way we get through things is by faith in Christ. We, we don't manage our lives by law-keeping or just trying to do our best or giving it our best shot. We manage our lives by faith in Christ. So when, you're, when your kids require more than you have to give, you put your faith in the Son of God for grace, for help, for wisdom. You can't handle it, but He can. When you are weak, He is strong. When you are deserted or betrayed or wounded, how do you handle that? You live by faith in the Son of God. When you're, when you're tempted to respond to life with bitterness or resentment or despair, how do you get through that? You live by faith in the Son of God. How do you keep out of the bondage of, of pornography and uh, alcoholism and other, other addictive behaviors by faith in the Son of God, by faith in being crucified with Christ and faith in Him dwelling in your soul. You, you, maybe you speak out loud, Lord, I utterly trust you. I utterly trust you. I utterly trust in your life within me to help me in this situation today. It's, it's not merely like, it's not merely asking God to help you control your temper. It's like, help me control my temper. No, it's committing ourselves to a crucified life. It is trusting in Jesus to express his mind, his attitudes, his temper, if you will, through us, his words through us. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, uh, said, faith connects you so intimately with Christ that he and you become, as it were, one person. As such, you may boldly say, I am now one with Christ, therefore Christ's righteousness, victory, and life are mine. So, another old quote, but most of the good stuff comes from stuff written a long time ago, honestly, it seems. So what is the Christian life to you? Is it, is it just trying to stop being bad and try to start being good? Is it, is, it, is it just being generous or nice or moral? Is it helping others or fighting for good causes? Well, I mean, those things absolutely should come. I mean, we're, that's, that's, that's a part of it. We're, good works are, are really important. But the Christian life, in essence, is not those things. The Christian life in essence is being united 
with Christ in his crucifixion and united with him in his life. We live by faith. We live by faith in God's Son working in us and through us by his Spirit. And again, it's, it's a life we live yesterday, today, until you go to be with Jesus. We live that life. All right, then I want to move on and talk a little bit about what is faith. I mean, if, 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 if this is so important that if all of this happens by faith in the Son of God, then we probably should know what, what faith is. Faith is, is simply looking to Christ in your heart and spirit. Faith is turning your attention to him. It is calling upon him. It's depending upon him. From, from within your soul, from within your being, you, you call upon Christ to be your savior, to save you in each, in each moment of life. It's turning away from yourself and your own resources and turning to Christ. Uh, it's trusting in him and in his life in you and really, act, really trusting him to express himself through you. Tozier, A.W. Tozier defined faith as the gaze of your soul upon a saving God. So faith is, is the gaze of your soul upon a saving Christ. It's giving him the full attention of your heart and the, and the complete trust of your heart. And this looking to, to Christ in faith for your life that can be done by any person, at any moment, in any place. It doesn't, doesn't require the worship music to be playing, although that can help. It doesn't require you to be in a church service. It doesn't require even a, even a quiet time or to be in a quiet time. In fact, it must be practiced when your boss gives you an unreasonable assignment or your kids are fighting or your spouse provokes you. These, these are the very times that we must live by faith in the Son of God where we, where we must consider that we were crucified with Christ and Christ lives in us and live by faith. And as you trust Christ in this kind of reality to really be this kind of help and strength to you um, in your daily situations, he will become more and more precious to you. And like Peter said, even though you don't see him, you love him. <laughs> and you rejoice in him with great joy because you know him as a, as, a, as a past and a present Savior. Then Paul adds this very important phrase at the end of this verse. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This Jesus Christ, who lives in you, he loved you and he gave himself for you. That's what he, that's what he, that's what motivated him. That's what drove him. Um, that was his, that was how he felt toward you. He loved you and he gave himself for you. That's how he feels toward you now. What he did for you in the past proves his disposition toward you now. And I think it's so great to think that the power that we have 
for life, this, this living dynamic strength that we have for every situation every day to overcome every sin is not an impersonal law or rule, but it comes from someone living in you who loved you and loves you still and gave himself for you. Luther put it this way, did the law ever love me? Did the law ever sacrifice itself for me? Did the law ever die for me? On the contrary, it accuses me, it frightens me, it drives me crazy. Someone else saved me from the law, from sin and death unto eternal life. That somebody is the Son of God to whom be praise and glory forever. You know, you're really not born again or saved until you come to the point where you understand the personal nature of salvation. Uh, Paul, Paul said, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, f- faith, faith in Jesus is not believing in your mind that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. A lot of people believe that. The faith that saves you, the faith that regenerates, that causes regeneration. Uh, The faith that brings about salvation is when you say, I believe he died for me and gave himself for me. And being a Christian is also in a like like manner. It's not only believing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that somewhere, somewhere out there, or up there, Jesus lives. I mean, I, I, I've been impressed at some of the polls taken at Easter about how many people believe in the resurrection. Quite a, you know, a lot of people do. But it, the Christian life is not just believing that Jesus was raised and lives somewhere. Being a Christian is believing that Jesus is alive and that he lives in me. And it has to be taken that that personally. So just, and you see how personal it is, just to read the verse again. I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see how personal it is? This has to be, that has to be, become your story your outlook, your reality by faith. So we, so we affirm daily with Paul that our old self was crucified with Christ, that we have died to sin and are freed from it, and we affirm daily and continually that Jesus Christ lives in and through me. I'm going to wrap up with a, a, quote, a poem, a very short poem by uh, Stephen Olford. Crucified with Christ, my Savior, I am dead to sin and shame. Now his life rules my behavior to the glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray.